Welcome to the Around the Net podcast powered by Callaway Golf. Here's your host, AJ Volpel. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I am AJ Volpel, and this is the Around the Met podcast powered by Callaway Golf, the September edition. I cannot believe it is September already. If this is the first time you are listening, well, I'm sorry because you've missed some really strong episodes throughout the year, uh, but you could easily play those back by searching Metropolitan Golf Association on iTunes or SoundCloud and and just hitting the little subscribe button uh, so you never have to miss an episode. Uh, so if this is your first time, this is a monthly podcast that touches on all things as it relates to the Metropolitan Area and Golf Association. We're talking people, championships, courses, um, and everything in between. We even talk about food sometimes, uh, as we did with Shinnecock Superintendent uh, John Jennings back in June for the U.S. Open edition, which was really good. Uh, so as a lot of you know, we have some very hard, heavy-hitting guests on the program. Uh, and since we are, I think, what are we, two weeks away from the Ryder Cup, we thought we'd bring on someone who has been covering the event uh, for what seems like, uh, I don't know, 30 years or so, uh, talking about none other than Jimmy Roberts of NBC Sports. He is a local Westchester boy, uh, grew up uh, White Plains High School, uh, so he is has very strong ties to the area. He's also the author of the Last Word column in every issue of the Met Golfer. Uh, so we got a chance to catch up with Jimmy um, right before the Ryder Cup to share his favorite stories about why you should never root for either side for the Ryder Cup, even if it's in Europe or even if it's in, in the USA, uh, which is really interesting to get his take on. Um, and a lot of other great things that have to do with the Ryder Cup and his and his come up pretty much through uh, the sports broadcasting industry. Really interesting guy, great guy. Um, really excited uh, to share that conversation with you. Uh, but before we get to that, I have to give a quick plug to the folks at Callaway Golf. Um, you know, generally at the beginning of the year, it's all about getting fit for the latest driver technology. You know, your swing might not be what it what it should be. Uh, so you go take a look at drivers, you swing away, you swing hard, you get fit for a driver. Well, September, October, that is iron fitting month, uh, what we like to call. So if you're in the market for some new irons, your swing should be as fresh as it's been all year long. Maybe you should definitely check out, maybe you should definitely, you like how I kind of worded that, right? Uh, check out some of what Callaway is offering, the number one irons in golf. We're talking Rogue, Rogue Pro, Rogue X irons. Go to your nearest fitter, your your club, your retailer, and tell them that you want to hit all the irons that all the brands make, including Callaway Rogue irons. Put them against every iron that every brand makes. See what works best for your game. And I'm not guaranteeing everything, but just from uh, a lot of results, uh, the face cup technology in the Rogue irons is uh, really second to none uh, with ball speed, distance. Uh, definitely make it a point to get fit for irons if you are in the market uh, this fall. Um, and then, you know, worry about the driver next year, okay? We'll, uh, we'll take care of all that. Uh, but uh, make sure you get fit. The number one irons in golf from Callaway. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation with none other than our man, Jimmy Roberts. This is PJ Tour winner Adam Hadwin, and you're listening to the Around the Met podcast. Be sure to check out all podcasts on the Callaway Network by searching Callaway Podcasts on iTunes or visiting CallawayGolf.com's homepage. Back to you, AJ. 
All right, welcome back, everyone. On the line is none other than Jimmy Roberts uh, from NBC Sports. Jimmy, thanks so much for for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, really, really excited to have you on the phone today. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. And so we're kind of in between weeks here um, for the PJ Tour. It's the end of the season. Uh, do you have off this week? And if so, what do you kind of do on a week off where uh, you don't have to call any action? Play golf. <laughs> uh, no, what I do is I'm actually in our in our studio this uh, weekend doing updates on other programming. And, you know, I've got a fairly hectic travel schedule coming up. So I'm taking care of a lot of the stuff that I don't really have um, – an opportunity to take care of while I'm away, spend some time um, with uh, my son at uh, various basketball events and, um, you know, just uh, try and take advantage of the time and, yes, play some golf if I can, although the weather has not been very hospitable in that regard. Yeah, so I've heard. So uh, where do you play most of your golf anyway? So I'm a member of Westchester Country Club, uh, where I've been for a long, long time, and I'm also a member of Hudson National. Oh, love both Hudson! Terrific places. Yeah, both terrific places. Great, great people. Great courses. Great facilities. I'm a very, very lucky man. That is awesome. Those are two of uh, yes, best of both worlds, right there. Um, so, a couple things first. Um, I want to definitely talk about Ryder Cup. You know what? Let's actually talk about Ryder Cup right now since it's so relevant. And I want to know what kind of preparations do you go through to get ready for Ryder Cups? Because you've been covering it for a long time now. Um, do you does the does planning begin for you and kind of producing features? Um, like, does it start months before the actual tournament, or is it uh, mostly? Uh, timely, relevant content leading up just like the couple weeks before the event? Well, I think that this year is going to be a little bit different for us in the way we present it. Normally what I would do would be a big feature that we would air between the two sessions on Saturday because we'll be on the air all day Saturday. But, um, you know, there's usually a, a period of time between the two sessions, the four ball and the foursome, that we'll need to air and fill some time. But that's not going to be the case this time around because we're going to be live. Um, we're going to be live across the board. And I won't bore you with the details of how, you know, how this all kind of works out this time around. It does benefit, you know, those who want to watch because they'll be able to watch live golf straight from the beginning to the end. And that means that um, rather than show a feature in the middle of the day, We'll just show live golf because invariably what ends up happening is whether it's, and I've forgotten whether it's four balls or foursome first, but at the tail end of the morning session, uh, as that's ending, usually that kind of overlaps with the beginning of the afternoon session. So rather than show a tape feature, what we'll end up doing is just showing live golf from the afternoon session. Now that said, uh, I am working on some stories that will present in a different type of way. And, um, you know, one in particular that I'm very proud of is a little uh, background on Lloyd Mangrum, who was, of course, a great, great American player. But he also fought in the Second World War, played in, uh, I think, two Ryder Cups. And uh, the significance of 
Lloyd Mangren this time around is that the Ryder Cup is being staged, you know, not far away from uh, where the Battle of the Bulge was fought in World War II, actually a battle that my dad fought in, but uh, a battle that Lloyd Mangrum fought in as well. So it has significance, and, um, you know, it also it has real significance when it comes to um, just the whole idea of American team unity, because I think that's something that Jim Furyk is um, – I think he's going to talk about and he's, you know, he's indicated that he has asked about, which is, you know, what happened on the beaches of Normandy and uh, for the United States. Oh, that's amazing. That's uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm not going to lie, pretty excited for that one. What are your what are your takes kind of going into the Ryder Cup in terms of both teams? Um, you know, there's been some obviously some talk about the captain's picks, especially on the European side. Um, what do you what do you make of it, and uh, do you think it's um, uh, going to be helpful to the European side to have the experience, or do you think maybe um, it, it, it's detrimental to them where they might need some young talent, energy, et cetera? Well, listen, you know, I, I this is all your own, you know, everybody's own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I know Sergio Garcia has not played terribly well this year, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the Ryder Cup, he, you know, it's like he dashes into a phone booth <laughs> and turns into somebody else. And I don't know, if I were the captain and I had an opportunity to have Sergio Garcia on my team, I'd have him. And so I don't have any quarrel whatsoever with uh, Tomas Bjorn selecting him, uh, nor do I think it was a bad idea to select Paul Casey. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Casey's played very well in the Ryder Cup. He won this year on um, the uh, PGA Tour in Tampa. I think he's a terrific player. It's hard to argue not having Stenson either. And, um, you know, and Poulter's the same way. I mean, those guys, all four of them, well, less of a case with Casey because he hasn't played uh, for Europe in a long, long time. He hasn't had uh, membership on the European Tour in a while. But those guys are great, great players and great Ryder Cup players. So I got no issue. I know that they're, um, you know, they're going to be, some who would have opted for younger players who had won more recently on tour. But the other thing is the Ryder Cup can be a pretty overwhelming experience. And I, I don't know. It doesn't always work out that way. I think back on Tomas Peters, mm-hmm. um, who played uh, for the European team in uh, Hazeltine. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was undefeated. Yeah. Or he had four points for the European team, and he was yep, a rookie. So it doesn't it doesn't always work out to form. It's hard to predict. Um, but if we're up to me, I would choose guys who have experience and they've been in the cauldron before. I've heard stories, you know, and I won't use the names, but I've heard guys who are afraid to hit a you know hit a tee shot, hmm. you know, didn't want to hit that first tee shot. Uh, Kevin Kisner told me that at the President's Cup last year, uh, he said he was more nervous playing in the president's cup than he'd ever been for anything ever in golf before uh had to leave his room three and he got to the golf course i think he said three and a half hours before um before his matches and his wife asked him what he why he was going so early and he said i'm not staying in the room are you kidding me so he's jumping out of his skin it's a different animal the Ryder yeah. cup is just a different animal mm. it really is yeah and you know anybody who's been on team sports could um you know you always have uh, those veterans who, who are leaders, they're natural leaders, not only by example, but just in the locker room. 
um, and they make you and they make the younger guys feel comfortable, uh, which is which is um, why they're the Poulter and, and Sergio, in my opinion, too, are, are extremely justifiable. Um, and you went into some some great reasonings there. But um, so you covered you started covering the Ryder Cup right after the uh, the epic at the country club in Brookline, right? No, no. I go way back for earlier than that. I um, My first Ryder Cup that I went to was actually at the Greenbrier in 1979 um, when it was just a clubby little affair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, uh, I was nothing more than a runner, you know, a, kind of a apprentice production assistant uh, long before I was working in front of the camera. But that was the first one that I went to. And then when I was with ESPN, I covered a number of them. Oh. I covered uh, my, my first one that I covered was uh, in 1995 at Oak, at Oak Hill. Yep. And uh, then I was in Valderrama in 97 and uh, at the Country Club in 99. And then I've been to actually every Ryder Cup since uh, 1995. So that's almost like every because Phil I think has played in every single one in twelve straight. So I think you guys kind of share the same record. <laughs> well, that was his first uh, Ryder Cup. Uh, that that was his first Ryder Cup, nineteen ninety five. And as if memory serves me, he did really well in that Ryder Cup. Yep, that's right. That was in his his inaugural one. Um, so what I was getting at, I was going to ask you what the most what the most memorable Ryder Cup that you that you've been a part of. Um, um, it might be 99, it might not, but what, what would you say to that? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I have to actually enumerate them. So 95, uh, that was pretty memorable. The United States looked like they were going to run away with it. It was, uh, they were playing against a team of, you know, supposed no names. Uh, and then they came back and the, and it was, uh, you know, Goliath was slain by David mm-hmm. on Sunday. I'll never forget that. I remember Brad, Faxon playing on his first Ryder Cup team in tears. Mm. Um, I remember Curtis Strange after he uh, um, really did not play well in his singles match. I remember him coming out to kind of face the music and the media afterwards. And 97, of course, was uh, Valderrama. That was pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, 99, I guess you'd have to, you'd have to choose 99. But, you know, for the same reason, you'd, you'd look back on Medina as the opposite result, enormous comebacks. Um, I, I'll tell you what, Hazeltine last time around was, was kind of crazy. Uh, the energy there was just off the charts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, they're, they're all memorable in their own way. Uh, but the one thing is that they all share is this, in, is this heightened energy that you just won't find anywhere else in golf. You know, and I listen, I'm a major golf majors junkie, but if you are a golf fan or if you're a sports fan and you have never been to a Ryder Cup and you have an opportunity to go, you should go because there's no description of it that does it justice. It's just the intensity of it. I'll tell you the moment that I remember most. Yeah, please. In Wales, in Wales, the last match of the day, Hunter Mahan was playing against Graham McDowell. Oh, yeah. And 17th hole, I believe it was. And McDowell closed out the match. And I was on the green, with, or on the apron of the green, about ready to run in and do an interview. And when McDowell made that putt, 
there was this human tidal wave that just descended on the green that was so frightening and so exhilarating at the same time. It was really pretty amazing. When I look back at it, I, I really kind of felt like I was just going to get trampled. But it was it really was pretty amazing. Right, and that was, of course, at uh, Celtic Manor um, in, yep. in Wales where oh, no, uh, not, Europe yep. won, I think, by a point or a point and a half. Um, right. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. But, yeah, that was epic. I remember that. That was a huge year for McDowell. Um, it was very unfortunate for Mahan, who was in a really tough spot at the end there. Um, that that's that a great memory that you have. Are do you do you, do you find yourself? Do you have that kind of uh, f- photographic memory where you could kind of recall really specific moments or like the results of different events um, that you covered, or do you kind of uh, does do you get a little forgetful as kind of, kind of time moves on? Yeah, it's not necessarily as time moves on. I think I'm an idiot. You know, I don't I, I do not have a very good memory. But there there are certain things which are just seared in your memory, you know, over time. And uh, I think it's probably that way for everyone. But I, you know, personally, I do not I'm not one of those guys who could tell you, you know, what the count was in, in a baseball game when something happened or what the situation was or, you know, certain things stick out to me. But um you know, I generally don't think I have a very good memory at all. Um, so uh, in talking to golf industry people um, who have been to several Ryder, Ryder Cups, they said that um, the vibe and the atmosphere um, at Hazeltine um, in 2016 was um, was just absolutely incredible. And then you just described um, another great moment um, in Wales at Celtic Manor uh, when a tidal wave almost swallowed you whole. Um would you would you say that those were some of the best environments you've been to, and and how would you compare environments uh, between um, the U.S. side and the European side? You know, everybody complains. You know, the Europeans complain that the American kind of environment is out of control. I think it's a, it's identical. Mm-hmm. It's identical. You know, I mean, I think it's out of control on both sides of the ocean. And I sometimes get a little worried about it. And I I really do. Uh, I just don't think the amount of people and the limited amount of golf and the amount of alcohol when all combined, um, you know, it worries me about what what may happen one of these days down the line. Yeah, and especially I grew, you know, I grew up on Long Island, uh, playing the Black Horse um, for my whole life until I moved to California a couple of years ago. But I, you know, I look at twenty twenty four, Jimmy, and I'm like, oh boy, I kind of like, you know, uh, my my head kind of tips over, and I'm like, what is gonna happen at the Black Horse? Like, you know, I hope it doesn't get too uh, too much out of control, you know? Yeah, I think it's gonna be a little crazy. <laughs> Well, a little crazy is, uh, is, 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 we could deal with a little crazy, but hopefully, um, you know, they, they don't get, um, too out of control, but, um, uh, just a couple more things, uh, before we wrap up, uh, Jimmy, um, you know, you've worked with some pretty legendary broadcasters over the years. Um, and I know like, um, when you were coming up, uh, you, you worked with, uh, some of the biggest names um, ever in broadcasting history. Who did you really look up to? as maybe a mentor or someone you kind of wanted to idolize um, in your early career? Well, you know, when I was, before I was on the air, I, I, before I was in front of the camera, I did a lot of writing and producing for folks. 
and that's actually how I got involved in doing this. Um, and I had the good fortune of working with, as you say, some people, really some of the biggest names ever, and I learned a lot from them, and I looked up to them. I mean, people like Howard Cosell and Jim McKay and Dick Schaap, you know, who many, many people have heard of, and then, you know, people who some may not have heard of. One of the guys that I worked with during the period of time that I worked for ABC News and, to my mind, was one of the greatest writers I've ever ever and reporters that I've ever worked with was a guy named Judd Rose, you know, who sadly passed away from a brain tumor at a very, very young age. But Judd was uh, just a brilliant storyteller and writer. Um, I, I learned a lot from, from those guys. Um, in terms of golfer, I worked with Dave Marr before I went on the air. Dave Marr, you know, the former PGA champion who, you know, was Johnny Miller of his day in terms of television. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was very kind to me and a wonderful man. I, I work with a lot of uh, people that I learned a lot from and a lot of people that I looked up to. I have had the great fortune of having been in the right place at the right time and have had the good sense to shut my mouth long enough to hear what they were saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I feel like your story is also one of, um, you know, I always like to say that, you know, people kind of uh, make their own luck or um, see an opportunity and take it and kind of build off of different opportunities. Um, would you say that that's accurate for, for kind of how you came up in the business? You know, I all I ever really wanted to do was work in sports. Um, I was a failed athlete. And that's how I got involved in the business. I was a lacrosse player mm -hmm. in high school who was basically a big fish in a small pond. I got a little bit of notice and was not good enough to play at the next level, at least not at the place where I wanted to go and play. They were actually the defending national champions. Um, I know I could have played plenty of places, but I, you know, I chose to go there because I wanted to be part of that program and I just wasn't good enough. And, mm -hmm. I was uh, lucky because that kind of led me into broadcasting the team, and then the mm -hmm. team played in the championship game again, and it was on television, and I worked on the broadcast as basically mm -hmm. uh, a gopher. I sat in the truck, and I told them back then they had no idea what lacrosse was <laughs> and what was going to happen, and I uh, was able to kind of help them understand the game a little bit better. Um, and from there, I just – kind of rode the wave i was at abc sports at a time when abc sports was as big a deal as there was in sports television mm -hmm. and uh kind of ascended the ranks worked hard got a lot of bruises um learned a lot of things and then i came to a point where uh, i thought they were going to eliminate my job and i had to do a self-inventory and i realized that the thing that i probably did best was writing and producing these features mm -hmm. and i figured well you know, the easiest part about it, about doing these features, has to be narrating them. So I just took a bunch of features that I had written and produced and took off the voices of people like Keith Jackson and Jim Lampley and Jim McKay and put my own voice on. I figured they were my words. I had written them. And I sent, uh, I sent out a bunch of tapes, and I got a bunch of nasty rejection notices. And the only organization that showed an interest in me was this tiny, tiny little cable outfit in the woods of connecticut called espn <laughs> oh my god that's an amazing that what an amazing story that's unbelievable and how long did you work for espn for 
12 years for ESPN, for SportsCenter and mm-hmm. a ver- variety of different shows. But, you know, when I went to ESPN, it was 1988, and ESPN was kind of like the backwater of television and cable. And uh, it was a gr- great, fun place to be, and I learned a lot. And let me just say this. Hmm. I'm really lucky that at the time that I went to ESPN with no on-camera experience, that there was no such thing as YouTube because I was bad and I was fortunate and I was fortunate that I could do it in anonymity. <laughs> right. There's nothing coming up on social media now about about your time at ESPN, thankfully. <laughs> that is yep. th- that's just that's just tremendous. Um, okay, two quick things before we go, real quick. Um Yes. Because I could, I could uh, obviously uh, keep you on the phone for a couple hours. But um, so, Jimmy, two quick questions before we let you go. Uh, the first one, um, as in in terms of regarding the Ryder Cup, have you found yourself maybe rooting for a side? Maybe either um, if if it's in America, rooting for USA, or if it's in Europe, rooting uh, maybe kind of swaying for the Europeans just because of the environments. Um, have you ever found yourself on the fence, Jimmy? I don't root. When I see journalists who root, it turns my stomach Mm. because it's not fair to the people you're covering. I, in many cases, have been assigned the European team at the Ryder Cup. Why should they trust me if I'm rooting against them? Mm -hmm. That said, I mean, I am an American, but you got to put that stuff aside. You just have to. Yeah, no, right. It's uh. The, as the, the, the cardinal rule in journalism, right, in sports journalism, broadcasting, uh, there's no rooting in the press box, right? Absolutely true, and I, and I believe in that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really, really appreciate all the insight, the stories. Um, like I said, we could go on forever, but um, I know we got to run. Um, but good luck um, in a couple weeks in France. Um, it's going to be so much fun to watch. We can't wait. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon down the road. It'd be my pleasure. And don't forget, we got the tour championship coming up this week, so that should be pretty good too. Awesome. So good. All right, well, take care, Jimmy. I really appreciate it.